welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA. We're a little bit late in recording. We're recording this Monday morning, and it's because of me. You may hear I'm um, struggling through the end, I hope, knock on wood, of laryngitis. Um, we could not have done this podcast 24 hours ago. I mean, I guess we could have, but you guys would have all been uh, more tired than normal of hearing me. So, um, Appreciate uh, your understanding, although we had a great game uh, Sunday night. We're going to talk about that. Uh, joining us from Oklahoma City on this Monday morning is Royce Young. Good morning, Royce. Good morning, Brian. And I'm glad to hear that you can speak and everything is uh, doing better. Well, it's early. I was, I was, this is the first time I've been sick in this era, and I was obsessively taking my temperature like class <laughs> Thursday and Friday. Oh, I had a, uh, I had like a like a minor cold like maybe two weeks ago, and it and it makes you feel so self conscious when you're like somewhere and you like uh, sneeze or cough or anything. Oh yeah, oh my god! Like it's all good, everything's good, promise. Um, and I'm happy to be able to report that joining us from quarantine, we can reveal that Dave McMenamin is in quarantine in Orlando, moving from layer two of the bubble into the primary layer. Probably just in time to see the Lakers. Um, well, I'm not going to make any assumptions. I don't want to be that guy. But um, Dave, quarantine, day two? Day two. Yeah, I, I said goodbye to our dear friend. Tim Bontemps dropped off a bag of snacks at his room. The bubble binoculars. He can start taking those those binoculars shots for Instagram now. And uh, yeah, you know, in here until uh, Saturday, I think. Get out. What would be time for Game Five of the Western Conference Finals if it goes that far? Oh, if, if necessary. Um, if necessary, because the um, the Nuggets left one on the table, although the Lakers took it. But I mean, the, the Nuggets could have even that series uh, last night. Did not on a spectacular Anthony Davis, but it was actually just a a really high level last few minutes of the game. The fourth quarter overall was a little sloppy. Um, but the last few minutes, just uh, back and forth shot making from Jokic and Anthony Davis. Um, Dave, you couldn't go to the game because you were in quarantine. Um, first game you probably missed. Um, it is, yeah. Uh, just a bit of, uh, you know, I'll take it though, a mixed bag. But I mean, first of all, you mentioned it. It was it was a sloppy game, and uh, especially for the Lakers in the second half. You know, they have a sixteen point lead eight minutes to go in the third quarter, you know what type of team Denver is. And uh, it, it was a, a team effort, and quite re- frankly, a team effort led by LeBron to try to squander it. Um, LeBron, for as brilliant as he was in the first half, eight for 11 from the field. Um, second half, he goes two for nine. He has four turnovers in the fourth quarter. I think he's one for six. And uh, they were just stagnant. Um, and Denver, when they get confidence, you know, can play as well as, any team in this league, uh, Jokic was making everything down the stretch. I think he scored the last 12 points for them, but you know it, it, it helps to have veterans who know what they're doing. John Rondo told Frank Vogel, hey, like, let me get in there. We gave a different inbounds passer for this final play. Uh, as Rondo put it when I asked him about it, he said, I made eye, eye contact with all my guys. I looked at Contavious Caldwell Pope to see if he was going to go. By the way, uh, I know he back, said back that. Court. I know he said that, but there was – he wasn't throwing it to either LeBron. Are, are you suggesting that he has such discrimination that if like I 
skirts open, wide open, under the basket on, on a backdoor cut. He's not going to give it to him for a layup to win the game. <laughs> Contavious Caldwell Pope was not interested in the ball in that moment, but <laughs> but I do think it's interesting that Rondo was the trigger man because Rondo would have no qualms about not giving the ball to LeBron. You know, he has that freedom, whereas another player may have been like, this has got to go to number 23. Oh, for sure. And and it's such an interesting layer to this thing because, you know, LeBron, that's become part of who he is. And for years, and Brian, you were up close and personal for it, when he came into the league, he was criticized for not being the guy to, to take those shots. Well, you know, now LeBron has five game-winning buzzer beaters in the playoffs, more than any other player in league history. So that's really part of who he is to get that shot. Well, here's the thing. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you again. Just to be clear, this has always kind of bothered me a little bit, but like there are a couple of different game winners. Like the one that Anthony Davis hit last night, which is where the ball goes through the basket as the horn goes off, which as you mentioned, LeBron has five of. That is deemed, you know, the you know, the the, the supreme shot. Um but LeBron has several dozen times where he hit a shot, even if it was in the last 30 seconds that effectively ended the game, you know, for example, game seven, 2013 finals, one second on the shot clock, less than 24 seconds to play. I don't remember how much there was. It might be like 18 seconds or 14 seconds or something. He hits a 20 footer to make it go from a two point lead to a four point lead against the Spurs wins the finals on that shot. Now, people would not it would not come up when you did a little search that said LeBron game winners. But he in, in fact he has a whole lot of them including as you mentioned Dave, a whole bunch that have actually gone through at the buzzer which to some people that has to qualify because you know that's when Jordan made his or that's when Kobe made his, but go ahead. Well, yeah, I mean I, I think that is the the super premium, right? That's the uh uh the Bentley or whatever. So the, the, the shot against the Spurs you referenced, which I think he said was his Michael Jordan moment. And I can still picture it, that pull up on the, on the, you know, kind of right uh, elbow extended. Um, you know, that's maybe a, a Porsche or something like that. I mean, it's still an incredible shot, but to have it where it goes to zeros while the ball's in the air is, is, you know, that's, that's the dream. And um, he didn't get the chance to take it. And, and I think is as much, a credit to Anthony Davis for recognizing that he could get open in that situation. A credit to Rondo to, you know, to shake off LeBron because Rondo could have just thrown it to LeBron there without any movement. Um, but really it was a detriment to Denver defense. You know, they were, they were kind of all over the place on that last possession. Yeah. Royce, um, Mason Plumley, um, Mike Malone puts him in the game. I assume to try to defend any lob to Anthony Davis and Anthony Davis starts out. Um, the ball is at the, is on the um, balls on the, uh, on the baseline because that's where Jamal Murray blocked it out of bounds. By the way, as a quick aside, it's not like Jamal Murray had a minute to think this over, but if Jamal Murray, after he makes that block and he, then he goes to save it and can't save it. If he throws the ball either straight up in the air, you know, or like way into the backcourt, um, you know, the game might end. And the other thing is with where Danny Green was, I think Danny Green was behind the backboard. I mean, what's the percentage chance of him making that shot? 
very small. No. <laughs> when he when he when he went into his shooting motion there, Brian, I was like, oh man, what a bad shot. <laughs> so like, I mean, look, he could have made it. I mean, the guys practiced yeah. that shot. I mean, what do you think, Dave? Is it a 25, 20% shot in that moment? Maybe it's 15%. I don't know. Yeah, it's not a high percentage shot. Rondo did make a, a shot behind the backboard the previous game in the series. Which he so, said I mean, was made, the first time he'd made that in the decade. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, just my point is that Danny Green taking two pointers, I'm not very confident in right. There, there, there was motivation for Murray to defend that the way he did. It is no, right. Point. I agree. I'm just saying, like, you know, it just shows you how on a knife's edge all this is. Yeah. Murray doesn't block the shot. It may be a miss, and the ball bounces around, and either even if the Lakers get the rebound, which they were getting a whole bunch of rebounds offensive, they may not have the time. It's just interesting how it worked out. But Royce, uh, Mason Plumley gets totally lost, takes the worst angle you could possibly take. He's already disadvantaged because he's slow-footed compared to Davis. Complete, you know, I think he wants Jeremy Grant to leave LeBron to go cover. It's kind of a well-designed play because Jeremy Grant, he's just, he's not going to leave LeBron. I mean, he's just not going to. Um, so, but, but Mason Plumlee messed it up. Yeah. And, and, you know, he did the classic, like not really guard anybody, but point and make it look like you're communicating something to somebody. <laughs> and it's like, um, you know, I, I, I'm sure that there was multiple breakdowns within what happened with, with Denver defensively, but it, it clearly comes back to Mason Plumlee, Brian and, and him, um, either, not sticking with Dave. I mean, like, look, it's a catch and shoot situation. So, you know, you can switch and you can do a lot of different things. But like, at the end of the day, you you know, the ball is going one place or another place. Specifically, like you said, um, last resort, Rondo's going to throw it to somewhere other than Davis or LeBron. So, like, if you're Mason Plumley, you've got to be trailing there. You've got to you've got to be attached to his hip. Um, and you know, I, I think for Denver, it's it's just it's one of those things where how you know, and you, you mentioned a knife's edge, but how fragile a playoff series can feel. Because, I mean, waking up today and it being 1-1 versus 2-0, and 2-0 in that fashion, I mean, that that was like – because, like, Denver was about to win the game that they win. Like, that's the way that they've won this postseason. And, like, to kind of build that spirit and momentum. Now, obviously, we they're, they're a great team even when they're in a series deficit. So, I'm, there's by no means should anybody – count the nuggets out of this thing. And I think that they showed that uh, they made some proper adjustments and uh, as good as Jokic was in the fourth quarter, he is an absolute problem for the Lakers to solve. And so game three is not going to be like anything easy by any means, but the difference between one, one and two Oh, and especially one, one versus two Oh on Anthony Davis hitting a, a buzzer beater that goes through. And you mentioned this one other thing that I'd like to know a stat on buzzer beaters that go through as the buzzer goes off when you're down. Like, because like, that's when you're like, it's win or lose. Like it's up in the air. There's, I think there's also a difference between those when the score is tied and it's like, ah, you're going to overtime. Let's fragment it out yet, yet again. Yes. Yeah. That's, when you're down by and it's that's the best like six seconds or less. Well, Lamborghini Dave is what. Okay. There we go. Lambo. Sorry. Um, the, the interesting thing about the Rondo. Well, first off, um, the the super fans out there, especially the people who are really good at video analysis, I appreciate this. But um, within minutes at the end of the game, they pointed out that in the Lakers um, Nuggets game that they played in the seeding round, uh, it also came down to a to a late shot, and Mason Plumlee was also on the court for that game, and he botched the, almost the exact same 
play. In, in that particular play, it was Kuz, he was on Kuzma, and he detached himself from Kuzma, mixing up where he was supposed to be, and Kuzma ends up getting a wide-open three. Um, he made the exact same mistake. Um, so, by the way, he, he, might have, he might have just listened to Tim Bontemps' analysis of Kuzma and be like, I ah, can't shoot. <laughs> He's got a gooseneck, though. Um, <laughs> so uh, I thought she thought uh, Jokic did a great job uh, getting out and defending that. Uh, and, and LeBron pointed out that Jokic defending that, getting out from – he was in, he was guarding the inbounds. Jokic getting out to Anthony Davis and, and defending that, challenging the shot, actually – made Davis shoot the ball higher, which was a better for the arc, which LeBron pointed out because he's, uh, he sees everything. Um, Dave, we text a little bit about this afterward. It reminded us of the 2015 buzzer beater LeBron had. I went in as the buzzer sounded check Mark. Um, Were they down though? No, it was a, it was a tie game. Doesn't doesn't Um, hit my criteria. You're right. You're right. guess Guess what? They were, uh, down to one of the series. Okay, there you go. Now, now you're getting what's in between a Bentley and a, and a Lambo? I don't know. <laughs> um, so, uh, in that particular moment, uh, David Blatt draws up a play for Kyrie Irving with LeBron as decoy. LeBron, to use his verbiage, scratched it and was like, Nope. Uh, by the way, uh, as just a little behind the scenes, Dave and I were in Chicago for that game at the United Center. And we were in the locker room. I'm pretty sure we were in the locker room. And J.R. Smith kind of gave that. I mean, nobody would have known that, <laughs> yes. right? It wasn't like we were like, hey, um, on that last shot that uh, the the MVP greatest player in the world took, he was des- the play was designed for him. But J.R., being J.R., was like, um, yeah, at first uh, coach said um, Kyrie was going to shoot. And I was like, what? And then LeBron stepped in and was like, no, no, I'm shooting it. And so, of course, we, we asked LeBron. <laughs> And LeBron was like, yeah, I, I heard the play and I scratched it. So, by the way, Kyrie, one of the greatest shot makers LeBron has ever played with. I would even argue the best shot maker LeBron's ever played with. Um, and LeBron had a problem with that. He was like, nope. In this case, he was fine with it. Of course, he was fine with it because it went in. But even if it doesn't go in, I think LeBron's fine with it. And partially because Rondo was throwing it in. And, uh, and two, he just has that much faith in AD. And so beyond what happened in this game, I just want to say LeBron is averaging in this series. This, this, and he had a great first half, but in two games, he is averaging 20.5 points, 8.5 rebounds, which is very good, and eight assists, which is very good, but is below, significantly below, the average he had during the season when he led the league in assists. Now he's shooting 52%, but only 30% on threes. He is not having a good series by his standards, and they are ahead 2-0, okay? Uh, Dave, if LeBron was averaging those numbers in any other conference finals, and this is his 11th conference finals, his last night was his 55th career conference finals game. He was 2 of 9 in the second half. He was 1 of 6 in the fourth quarter. And I would argue that in any other of those 54 games, those conference finals games he would have played in, that performance is a loss. And I would even argue 20 points, even at 8-8, eight and eight, is 1-1 one and one at best and maybe 0-2. Oh but because Anthony Davis is averaging 34-10 and 10 in this series, uh, the Lakers are up 2-0. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right on the money there, Brian. And 
I, I think you wrote that up for our site last night and our takeaways and I was reading it and just nodding my head because, you know, there's not just the, the fact that Davis is so productive, but when he's productive, there's no rancor. It's okay. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't always work that way. And I'm not just talking about LeBron and his teammates. I'm talking about any team dynamic where there is a, a superstar accustomed to certain looks, accustomed to a certain um, uh, percentage of the offense running through him, and all of a sudden that, that switches in, in a series. That takes a certain type of trust between the stars to have that happen. It takes a, a certain camaraderie and chemistry on a team to, you know, the Lakers, what we saw in the last round, where, you know, all of a sudden Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee aren't playing and you get Mark Keith Morris playing all these big minutes, uh, you know, out of nowhere when he was only on the, the team since March. And then, you know, they had a four-month hiatus and he's basically, you know, a, a new body. But it worked uh, because they trusted one another, and, and that's how it is between LeBron and AD. I mean, their rapport is unlike anything I've seen on, on in terms of superstars that I, that I've covered in my career, and um, it, it's it's going to be a bit of a push and pull. I, I think LeBron's trying to pull something out of AD. I think AD's trying to pull something out of himself. Um, LeBron's, I think, at this stage of his career, obviously more equipped for those moments uh, based on experience. But but who's to say that there isn't going to be a moment here? Maybe it's going to happen in these playoffs where AD is the torchbearer um, for you know, the remainder of of the, the partnership he plays with LeBron. And it doesn't mean like also LeBron's going to fall off the map or anything like that. But as Rondo put it post-game, maybe it's 1A is Davis and 1B is LeBron. Worse, I think off the top of my head, I don't have this stat ready, which... I apologize, but I think off the top of my head, LeBron has only not let, before this season, LeBron has only not led his team in two, in scoring, in two playoff series in his whole career. And um, Wade got him uh, once in his first year in Miami when he was, quite frankly, a little lost. And then Kyrie uh, in one of the, I think it was conference finals or finals, I can't remember, one of the series in Cleveland. Um to be able, and it's not all about scoring, but to see LeBron have this other weapon with him. I mean, I was, I've said for months that I thought the Lakers were a player short, that I didn't think that just the power of those two was going to get it done. And I thought the Clippers had that depth. I was wrong on the Clippers and it, it's looking like the Lakers may in fact, with that one, two punch have enough to do it. You know, and, and one of the things as Dave was talking, it made me think about this is that, you know, I personally do think Anthony Davis is the the best player LeBron's ever played with, but I, I think he's also the best, clearly the best fit with LeBron. And and a lot of that has to do, and, and you talk about like LeBron kind of being okay, taking a little bit of a backseat and, and Davis rising to the top is, is not the biggest deal in the world. One of the big differences in Anthony Davis versus playing with Dwayne Wade or Kyrie Irving is like LeBron is still pretty involved in Anthony Davis's scoring opportunities, right? Like, it, it, when when Kyrie had it going, like LeBron wasn't really all that involved. Like he didn't need to be. He could, you know, yeah, I guess he could rest up a little bit, but like Kyrie could just go to work on his own. Um, you know, and Anthony Davis ISO some, but for the most part, there's like some offense ran to get to the point of of an Anthony Davis, you know, mid range pull up or or post up or whatever pick and roll. I mean, LeBron's involved in the offense and he's part of creating those opportunities. And so I think it just kind of naturally builds a much better chemistry between the two um, because they're like playing together. 
throughout the game, not not taking turns. There's really at no point when you watch the Lakers play does it feel to me like AD and LeBron are taking turns. Like, okay, I'm going to go to work a little. You're going to go to work a little. Um, I I really get the feel of a of a lot more of a partnership between them. And you know, you you guys are the far more the LeBron experts than me, but I, I don't feel like that he's really had that. There's there was times where the chemistry with with Wade on the court was like next level good, but that was like kind of like these flashpoints where you would see like them play together in a sequence that was amazing. I just think in, in the kind of the totality of the game, like LeBron and AD, they just, they just play well, like together. They're just, they're just running offense together. And, and I think that that, that really kind of creates just a much better flow and, you know, not to like extrapolate too far, but it sets up those moments where AD taking the game winner is no big deal because you've just been playing together the whole game. And it's, it's not like, Oh, it was his turn to to shoot there. It's not like when you're playing like match play and it's like in golf and, Oh, I guess it was his turn for the big putt. I would have liked to have had the chance that that's really, I don't get that vibe at all between those two. That's a good point. I, I want to stay away from the word best because that's where people get their backs up and, and nuance evaporates. Um, I have been using the, the uh, phrase best all around teammate or most all encompassing teammate, because you know, just by using um, definitive uh, measures, LeBron has never played with another first team all NBA player. LeBron has never played with another first team uh, all defense player. Um, you know, you could argue that in their prime in Miami, that having Bosch and Wade, the incredible stretch the floor rebounding and defense that brought Bosch brought combined with the shot making, take the pressure off offense, um, overall beast that Wade was, you put them together, you, would, you wouldn't you would say that them together were less than Davis, but individually I think that that's true. And LeBron is completely invested in Anthony Davis's success. I don't know if – wasn't like he was pulling against Kyrie or Wade, but he was also trying to get his – in a way, Dave. And, and I do think Royce is right. I think from the first game of the season, that game way back 11 months ago, when they were four, when, when LeBron was force feeding Anthony Davis with like 20 posts ups, <laughs> post ups, he has been so invested in Anthony Davis's success. Yeah. It, it, or even like the all-star game obviously doesn't count for anything, but there you go. LeBron with the ball in his hands could have pulled from deep and said he finds Davis ducking in to the lane and feeds him and Davis wins it at the foul line and it gets the glory of that moment. Uh, there is a clear chemistry to the game. I believe we had a stat floating around in the first round that LeBron had more assists to Anthony Davis in that series than he had to any other player in any series. Uh, you know, that shows that their games fit with one another. And, and obviously it's a, it's a mutual proposition when, when Anthony Davis succeeds, LeBron succeeds. And then maybe, at a, a different stage of LeBron's career, he wanted to succeed a, a certain way. Uh, maybe this is a heightened understanding of what really matters, you know, from a guy who's been doing it for 17 years, um, that it just, you just want to win. Like, that's all that matters. And um, certainly Anthony Davis gives him a great chance of winning. Yeah, and not, not, to, not to doubt at all, that, or not to say that LeBron is necessarily like a, a stat lover, and that he consumes himself with him. But you, you, you mentioned it, Dave, that like 
when Anthony Davis scores, LeBron gets a stat most of the time, you know, and it's a positive <laughs> one. Um, and, and that sometimes it's as simple as that. Like you can, you can, uh, it, it helps you kind of just feel better about who you're playing with when you get a little tally in the box score when the other guy scores. LeBron's care about stats is it's complicated because he doesn't care and also cares a lot. Um, like he wouldn't trade certain statistical measures. I mean, it's kind of like when you're playing Madden, right? You ultimately want to win, but you'd also really like to get your, you know, your wide receiver, the most touchdowns or receptions, right? Like you, and maybe a force feed a, a ball to him, you know, or you, whatever. I know that's the way I used to play. I don't play anymore, but I, I like the idea of leading the league in a category. And I think LeBron feels the same way. He's not going to make it first, but uh, he does care about the stats. He always is aware of, uh, you know, every single time out, Dave, what does LeBron get? He gets well, he's some... got a statue. I think he was walking out. I'm pretty sure this is true. Game seven against the Warriors. Because I was out in the in the back, he walked out at halftime holding statue. I mean, that's just what he does. It, it's it's like LeBron bad. gets two things at every timeout. He doesn't like using towels for some reason. I don't know why. I mean, he does use them, but he uses these uh, giant Kleenexes, and he'll wipe himself down with like five or six all the time. And he's there. There's this giant box that they use, so he's he's always got Kleenexes or towels or paper towels. And um, and he's always got stats, always, always. Vivid Seats wants you to get to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seat Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP, H-O-O-P. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hitch, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's ever up there, whether it's the roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit DirecTV.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. I want to say something real quick about the LeBron MVP thing. Um, the reason LeBron thinks that he's the MVP, he can't really, right. he can't really say. And I don't just mean this year. I mean over the last six, five or six years, which he has not won. He has not won it now in Seven six years. years. Seven, Seven years, two thousand thirteen. Yeah. You're right. What the reason LeBron can't say it is because it's not proper. But the reason LeBron believes he's the MVP in addition to his stats, I mean, that's and his team's success, that's transparent. Sorry, I had to cough. Oh, I was on I thought it was dramatic pause. <laughs> is because LeBron also believes that he acts as coach, he acts as general manager, 
In some ways, he acts as owner. He acts as motivator. Um, he was the one who made Anthony Davis to the Lakers happen. Okay. Uh, did he negotiate the trade? No. In some ways he did when he basically said, get rid of all these guys. He is the one who brings the team together and, and sets the tone. He, he can't, he can't say that because he doesn't want to undercut his owner or his GM or his coach or even some of his teammates. And I don't think he actually intends to undercut them. But what he basically feels, he's like, listen, Steph Curry ain't doing this. Giannis ain't doing this. Giannis is not doing what I am doing for this organization. When the teams were in China and they couldn't figure out what to do, it was LeBron who largely grabbed the reins and got them through that, at least from a player's side. When Kobe passed away, it was LeBron on the phone with Adam Silver saying, we can't play this game with the Clippers. He was speaking for the organization. And even back to his Cleveland days, um, he was doing some of that. He was saying, no, go get me J.R. Smith. Get him, bring him here. I will make it work. I will call Kevin Love, tell Kevin Love to come play with me in Cleveland, and then you work out the trade for him. I will tell us who that we should trade for Kevin Love. No, we don't want Andrew Wiggins. Get rid of him. We don't care. Bring in Kevin Love. He can't say it. And by the way, that doesn't mean that David Griffin didn't do a good job. It doesn't mean that Rob Palenka didn't do a good job. It doesn't mean that Frank Vogel hasn't done a good job. That's the thing. There's nuance here. And when you get into the debate about the MVP, the nuance, the ability to have nuance just fades because you either yell that this guy is the MVP or that guy is the MVP. Um, and so when LeBron says that the Giannis was the rightful winner and he's upset that he finished second, he, he understands that he can't get the credit, but at the same time he's angry. He can't get the credit. And that is the basis of it. And so the way you see LeBron as Royce described handle Anthony Davis this year, Dave is part of what I'm talking about there. Yeah. I think that's an astute way to put it, Brian, but in this specific conversation to him and Giannis Antetokounmpo, and I'm not speaking on a conversation I've had behind the scenes with LeBron or anybody in LeBron's camp, but just my opinion here. He also looks at Giannis and, and says, I'm a better basketball player than you. And if, if, it's, if it's a close race, Ty's got to go to the better basketball player when it comes down to MVP. And to me, that's, that's how I interpret it. Well, you're welcome to interpret it that way, and you have your vote, and you use your vote on LeBron, and no one's going to begrudge you of that. Um, I voted for Giannis um, because here's the thing. like um, Every MVP situation could be classified that way. For example, LeBron won his first two MVPs in 2009 and 10. Uh, 2009, they won 66 games. 2010, they won 62 games. He was the far and away best player statistically um, those years. But he was not the best basketball player in the league. I think that guy played in the, with the uh, Lakers and uh, the Lakers won the titles those two years. And it was Kobe who was working with Powell um, and the rest of his teammates with Lamar Odom and creating a team that was just 
a beast of a team. Dave, you covered those teams. You know how Kobe operated. And so I would say that these MVP awards aren't voted on, you know, to a, to a certain extent, they are voted on in the vacuum of, of that season. It's hard to vote on them in the breadth of people's careers because if you want to if you want to take away the MVP from Giannis this year and say it's LeBron because of you know he is the better overall basketball player, then I think you got to go back to 2009 and 10 and take those away and give them to Kobe. If you're going to make that as your standard, under the standard of who had the best 80 well it wasn't 82 games but whatever it was 65 game season. You know, in my view, it was Giannis. You're, you know, no one's going to begrudge you for for voting, um, for voting for LeBron. But that's complicated because the other stuff that I talked about, you know, you know, the voting is is what you make of it. But the other stuff I talked about isn't traditionally part of the voting structure. And I know Royce, I think you had a vote and you voted for LeBron, right? I mean, what was your? No, I, I mean, I mean, you voted for Giannis, but yeah, Giannis. what was your? How would? How did you? Uh, think about it. Yeah. I mean, obviously it was extremely close. And, and to me, this is the kind of the beauty of the MVP voting. And as you guys know, as voters, it's not like when you get your ballot, they say, okay, here's the criteria for MVP, you know, and it's like listed out in front of you. You literally get nothing. I mean, it's just like, here's, you click a little thing and it's like pulls up every player in the NBA's name and you choose which player you want to select. And, you know, like for the Heisman trophy, it's like a player that represents this, this, and that. Like that's not the case for MVP and you build your own criteria and some people that drives them crazy, I think, to not kind of have that guidance. Um, for me, I think it's kind of the beauty in the voting and what makes it balanced to a degree and fair because different people prioritize different things. And if there are some people that prioritize um, kind of like what you laid out, Brian, about kind of the totality of LeBron and everything that he does. And look, I don't think that there is a player in the NBA that influences the game on the floor night to night more than LeBron James. I think that's without question. You know, if, if it's one of those things, if you asked advanced scouts or you asked uh, opposing coaches, like which player is the is the most difficult to game plan for or that you have to put the most thought, it's like it's LeBron. Like LeBron controls the game at a level that very few ever have in NBA history, but particularly no other player in the NBA does this season. So like – it's LeBron's award in that category. But like for me as a voter, it is very much about the existing season that just happened. And while LeBron is a better player, I agree with Dave on that front. Like it's just Giannis's dominance and statistical elements of it. Like those things also matter as well. And the fact that his team was the best in the NBA, it's not like, and again, I think a lot of times people lose sight of this. Like we submit our ballots um, before the playoffs start. <laughs> okay. So, so that there's always that context there. We can't predict the future. So like, don't overlook the fact that the bucks were statistically an absolute monster in the regular season. Uh, they, they were, I don't know where they would have, where they finished in terms of net rating, but it w- it has to be in the top five or six ever, I would assume. So like, again, I, I think I completely I would never begrudge anybody that said, I value these things and I vote LeBron. Um, But at the same time, I I don't think it's completely fair for people to look at it the other way and say, well, how could you just give it to a guy based on stats? Because I think that that's diminishing the overall impact of Giannis as well. 
I think Le- I think Giannis is a worthy MVP. There's nothing like there's not an asterisk. Uh, he's a back to back guy, and he uh, when you look at all the MVP MVP winners years and years from now, it won't look off. What what I do believe is that the general thinking of most of the awards voters tend to reward things like analytics and PER and uh, the statistical element at a higher degree than they ever had before. And I don't know if that's so good. Sometimes you just kind of got to trust the, the eye test of what you see and, and what, it, you know, the, the total landscape. And to me, that, that could be missing a little bit. And a flashpoint for that um, was – LeBron bringing up Marcus Gasol's Defensive Player of the Year um, award uh, back from what 2012 2013 because you know that, that he he kind of won that based on all the the team statistical elements and data that that we had available to us that wasn't part of the conversation before and I'm not trying to dismiss all those things I'm not I'm just saying the balance uh, the scale has, has changed a little bit and. Um, you know, I, I, I don't. You don't always need. Maybe, maybe part of LeBron's point is that that those things don't always need to get that much weight. Yeah, and plus, we we don't tend to reward like the institutional players of the NBA, like the guys that are like the foundational players. Like, I, I highly doubt Giannis wins it next year, and he, and I honestly, he could probably have the exact same season. And voters just tend to gravitate towards someone different at some point. It's like there's kind of an expiration date on like. Um, kind of the attractiveness of a candidate, uh, whether that's because of a playoff. This is, this is what's happened to LeBron is that you no longer are just competing with your peers that you're competing with your own standard. That right. You're yeah. Your own greatness. Yeah, exactly. Brian. And yeah. so, um, you know, like, was this, was this the greatest LeBron season ever? Like, no, far from it um, in terms of uh, like statistical impact. But I mean, you, you could make a case that it might be LeBron's greatest season ever for what he did um, in the grand scheme, like you mentioned, from from China to Kobe uh, to kind of like restoring the Lakers um, to normalcy to a degree. <laughs> so like there's there's a lot of elements there. So, uh, you know, and plus it, we all know it. You could easily just have given LeBron the last 10 MVPs, but what's the fun in that? I mean, like there's you have to kind of evaluate it like a little more um, – I don't know, holistically throughout the NBA rather than just saying, okay, he's the best player. Give him the award again. I do like, um, so LeBron, one of his things um, that is very a big part of his personality is he's passive aggressive, not 24 hours a day, but he does get passive aggressive and he gets upset when you call him passive aggressive, but he absolutely is. Um, He just sent some tweet the other night. Um, yeah, what was that one? I need to know. Nobody knows, but it's a classic LeBron passive aggressive move. So one of his things he likes to do is complain about not the actual MVP vote itself, but his way of sort of protesting it is saying, well, I was upset that I only got 16 second, first place votes. Mm-hmm. No, LeBron, you were upset that you did not win. <laughs> 60, you know, what was the threshold he would have been acceptable with uh, Dave? Would it have been, you know, uh, Exactly the right <laughs> it reminds me of 2016 when the, when the uh, Warriors won 73 games. And I promise you, LeBron believed then, as he does now, that he's better than Steph Curry. Okay. But Steph was 
unanimous. And, you know, look, he can't, you know, LeBron couldn't in good faith come out in front of the media and say, I think I should have won. But so he complained that he finished third behind uh, Kawhi Leonard, that uh, he somehow thought he was more deserving than Kawhi Leonard. Now, I think we can all agree Kawhi Leonard is a pretty damn good player. But, you know, Dave, LeBron complained about finishing third. He was really angry he didn't finish first. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a fair way to put it, Brian. And and listen, ultimately, uh, as he kind of checked himself, like, hey, I'm fine. Like, he is fine. Like, if anything, this probably puts a little extra wind in his sails as he pursues a fourth championship because yeah, that's what's left for him. Um, the, the MVP awards, if he won it in year 17, like, that'd be a cool footmark, uh, footnote, I should say. And um, it would add to his overall story years down the line. But what really will enhance his chance of what he says is his goal to be the greatest player of all time is to, to add championships. And so, you know, that's that's where he stands now, six six wins away from adding a, a fourth right. ring. It's kind of bizarre that, like, MVP isn't is as important of an award as that is. It's not typically, like, on the front of people's tongues when it comes to, like, listing out like your greatest player of all time credentials. Am I wrong in that? I don't feel like people just immediately well, go to like that's uh, the thing. Kobe's MVPs or Michael Jordan's MVPs is like their their bullet point criteria. It's not like in 2045 when people are talking about the all-time greats, they're going to be like, "Wait a minute, how many did LeBron win? Did he win four or five? I mean, like like no one says, "Hey, Kareem has more MVPs than yeah, Michael exactly. does." You know, like no no one does that. It's uh, like the so, most yeah, important award, no doubt about it, but it, it, I feel like it's like fourth or fifth or sixth. I I don't even know where it would be on like the list of like on your, on your greatest player of all time credentials, your resume. It's just, it, it's not that high up there. It's just something that's very interesting and debatable. And the fact that the players participate in the debate only enriches it for the fans, which is why we've talked about it. Yeah. Um, I will be interested to see how Denver reacts. They have completely created a persona of picking themselves up when they are down. They are not getting good play in this series from a whole lot of guys. Gary Harris has been horrible. He 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 was a difference maker yeah. um, uh, against the Clippers, uh, almost like adding a almost like a mid playoff trade, getting him back. He's averaging four points on twenty three percent shooting the first two games. Got benched last night for PJ Dozier. Um, uh, J- Jeremy Grant, who was an important player for them, uh, averaging just eight points on twenty-eight percent shooting. Uh, Paul Millsap, who <clears throat> admittedly has been up and down, he has had moments where he has not helped at all. Other moments where he's been really good. He's only averaging five points uh, a game so far in this series. So um the lakers are getting it done because they're getting it done with their with their top line players like i mentioned anthony davis averaging 34 and 10 and lebron even though his overall averages aren't great he's been pretty strong um but you know they're like they're getting better like kentavious caldwell pope and danny green um even though danny green's not shooting well but they're outplaying their opposite numbers from denver denver's got to win the role player game you just have to do it. And um, they're getting worked on it right now. So we'll see if Denver can pick themselves up and make it a series. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is all the lift big, get big and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. 
and starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start with thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can. Even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Before we go, we have a little hiatus here in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, Boston strikes back in that series uh, to make it 2-1. Royce, Boston can look themselves in the eye and say that they could have won all three games of this series. Mm -hmm. But Miami has done a lot of good things. When you look at this series, where do you where do you see it right now? Yeah, I mean, but that's the nature of a playoff series, right? Is that you get to game six and you can go, man, we were just like one offensive rebound away, and but that's like that's where they exist, and that the, the margins are where you win postseason series, uh, whether that's a, a loose ball, a call that doesn't go your way, uh, a, a ridiculous shot, whatever it might be, and and you know at the at the end of it, it's just you win the games you win and you lose the ones you lose. So, you know, I, I, I picked Boston to win it in seven. And a lot of the reason for it was that I think that just kind of in terms of like long-term series matchups, they were going to kind of favor them overall. It, it, you know, I know that the heat have had a lot of players um, excel in the postseason, and you see kind of these moments where guys will rise to the top, whether that's Duncan Robinson or Tyler hero or whoever that is for Miami. But I, I think Boston's like one through nine, is just overall better, um, and and look as good as Jimmy Butler is. Like Jimmy Butler did not play a very good game three, um, and you know I, I think that Boston is just a little more reliable when it comes to where they get their scoring from versus the Heat. It's it's a it's a tricky thing for me, Brian. Is like when you kind of have that random balance that a team like Miami does it makes you so dangerous and so difficult to guard. When it could be Tyler Hero for twenty four, it could be. I like you know, that phrase, right. random balance. Right. But like, you know, Jimmy Butler's their best player and he's the guy that you expect to score the most, but that's not the case for them. Boston, while they also have some level of balance, like they know where they're getting their points from. They know who they're looking to. And for me, I I feel like that wins out in a playoff series versus kind of the balanced scoring approach that Miami has. Yeah. To me, Boston looked different in game three. Obviously they did have those leads in the first two games of the series, but they look different to me because Kemba Walker looked like a, a confident guy that we've known him to be uh, for most of his career. And, you know, even when Miami went zone, and that was something that flummoxed the Celtics to begin the series, you saw Kemba hunting shots off of skip passes. And and he made, you know, I, I don't think you shot all that well from three, but the fact that he was bringing that mentality to the court, um, because, you know, guess what, that's going to, 
you know, maybe get them out of the zone. And then Kemba can do what he likes to do better, you know, try to attack the paint, step back uh, jump shots. And, um, you know, as you know, he, Kemba's not their best player. It's Jason Tatum. He's probably the third best player. Um, but he has that confidence, I think, that younger players can glean off of. And then, you know, quite frankly, throwing Gordon Hayward into the mix, what he's just he plays like Jimmy Butler does. Like he has a, a complete offensive game. He operates from the same parts of the floor. Um and he he is, you know, the the lubricant to keep that, that engine moving. Yeah, he had he had one of the greatest six point playoff games that I can ever remember. I looked at the box score after the game. I'm like, what did Gordon Hayward have? Like eighteen? And I was like, no, he had six points. But it well, felt that, that very well. You know, that is the, something that has applied to the series that will that I think will determine it because Hayward didn't even play five on five before he came back. I don't think they wanted to bring him back in game three. I think they would have preferred game four because they get this break and it would have given him an extra four days. But they're down 2-0. They had to do it. So I think he gets stronger as the series goes on. Mm-hmm. We'll see if that makes a big difference. I suspect that it might. But that is a great series. That, to me, has got seven written all over it. Unless somebody loses a game that they shouldn't, where they just give it away, which sometimes happens. Um, all right. Well, my voice is fading. Thank you guys for hanging in there with me. Uh, hopefully, I'll be better later in the week. Dave, hang in there in quarantine. Royce, thank you very much. Thanks to Troy turning the dials back in Connecticut. Thank you for listening. Everybody have a great week. Take care from the Hoop Collective.